0: That uh, today remains one of my favorite stories of the year, that Chanson story. And it's a Chanson story, really, but it has become our story, too, as a family, because uh, that, that was a pivotal moment that, uh, after that evening, and uh, even perhaps that evening, not even realizing it at the time. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I trust that you do. We'll get there in a minute, but if you'll turn to uh, Psalm 119, and just kind of hold it there for a little bit, we'll, we'll find our way there. Uh, and as you're doing that, uh, allow me to pray, please. Father God, I come to you, Lord, and ask you, as I always do, Lord, just give me words to speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I was thinking... You know, that chance and moment, <laughs> I keep calling it that, but it's that moment when you guys, um, I should say we at this point, had commissioned him uh, to go out. And I, I think back on that moment finally, it's one moment, it's one single moment in a year. And back, uh, I don't know, circa 98, I think, 99, somewhere around there, there was a musical that launched on Broadway, and the cast was on various television shows, Oprah would have them, they They performed the Macy's Day Parade, as you would expect, and in that musical, there was a song called Seasons of Love, and that song uh, was the lyrics, 525,600 minutes, and in that song, regardless of what you think of the musical, the song, Seasons of Love, kind of chronicles events throughout a year. You know, how do you define a year? How do you you measure a year? What does your year look like? Uh, is it one single event in a church service unexpected? How many cups of coffee is your year? How many midnights have you seen? How many days in the hospital? How many funerals did you attend? You know, how many, I don't know, bones did you break? Whatever. I mean, think of the different things and how a year is measured. You know, the pivotal moments that occurred. The mundane things that happen in a single year. And the whole point of that song is that, you know, are, how do you measure a life in a single year? And, of course, the song ends with, measuring it in love, and of course, they have a warped understanding of what love is, and as Christians, we understand what true love truly is, and uh, it makes a big difference when we start discussing love, but it's hard to believe how much time has flown in just a year's time. I mean, we're at 2015, and I don't know if you're a, rev- uh, a revolution. resolution maker or not. Um, I won't ask you to lift your hands. Some people are kind of jaded about that, but some people make resolutions. Some folks don't, but according to the Journal of Clinical Psychology, 40, 45% of Americans usually make New Year's rev- resolutions. The top 10 listed are these. Number one, lose weight. All right? Get organized. Spend less and save more. Enjoy life to the fullest. I don't know how you can do that after those first three, but... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like wearing myself out trying to lose weight, get organized, and spend less money. But enjoy life to the fullest, staying fit and healthy, learn something exciting, quit smoking, help others in their dreams, fall in love. <laughs> That's number nine. It's not even like top five. <laughs> Spend more time with family is number ten. Then it goes on. I mean, it goes on, you know, eat healthy food, get a better education, better job, drink less alcohol, manage debt, stress, reduce, reuse, and recycle, take a trip. It gets, you know, more and more political as you go on uh, all those things. My, re- my resolutions are very simple, but they're very difficult Uh, I have, uh, I'm not going to yell at people, and you probably have not experienced that, but in my house, I have a tendency to raise my voice, and it occurred to me this year, actually, that my children will never grow up and say, you know, I never heard my dad raise his voice in, in all of our lives, they will never, not a one of them will be able to say that, so here we are day, you know, what, four, and I'm doing pretty good. You know, we had to come to church this morning, so that's a, that's a big test. Tomorrow is an even bigger test because, you know, everybody's got to get in the car at the same time with all their clothes on and gear. And so, you know, I'm practicing my whisper screaming, get in the car now, you know. So uh, the tone will be a different story, but at least the volume will be hopefully contained. So that's one of my, that's a tough one for me. Uh, I'm going to run every day. I know that sounds kind of silly and, and you know, like I'm broken, bragging or boasting, but it really is the truth, I, I'm, and the rule is I've got to run at least a mile, I've kind of joined this group, it's the Run 365, and in order to really count, you've got to run at least a mile every day, so I am, as of, as of today, I have run four miles, so I'm <laughs> I'm on my way to my Run 365, I plan to journal more, and I plan to, uh, I'll preach shorter when I preach, uh, I just threw that one in there just now. But you know, it's an interesting thing about resolutions, they tend to be fleshy, you know, they tend to be very much a part of our flesh, they tend to be the things that we desire to be different in our lives, or that we want to, you know, strive to change about ourselves, and they, uh, the turn of the new year reminds us of that, there's the freshness of new beginnings, and so it it causes a, a certain motivation there, but here's a question, do you remember the ones that you had from last year, your resolutions? And you remember, you know, how long they lasted? Maybe they're the same ones this year. I don't know. Or how about the spiritual ones? You know, the, let me put that in quotes. The spiritual ones that we tend to make. Attend church more. Start going to Bible study. Read my Bible more. Read the whole Bible through. Pray more. Give more. Start tithing. Volunteer to serve more at the church. Incidentally, we could help you with that one if you uh, need to. Especially in my area, I got lots of places I can put you to service if you would like to join us in children's ministry. It's a fantastic place to be because it's the very birth of the burning of a candle. You know, and you're starting to launch children into their life with the Lord. And that's an amazing place to be. I think it was R.G. Lee who came home from a revival and... He laid down in the bed, and his wife said, how did it go? And he responded by saying, well, there were two and a half people saved tonight. She goes, oh, two adults and a child? And he goes, no, uh uh-uh, two children and one adult. The point was that they still had their whole lives to live out ahead of them. I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful poetic way of saying that, but that's really the truth in our ministry. And maybe one of your resolutions is to be a better parent. We've got a class for that. We have a four-week study coming up. It's a workshop, understanding your kids better. I know I'm pitching stuff, so I'll stop doing that. But this morning, this morning in the orchard, we started a new theme this month, and it's the theme of commitment. And the orchard is what we do on Sunday mornings with kids while you're in here in big church. And it's uh, the environment that we have before they go into their individual grow groups, which are their Bible study classes. So we sing, we have a Bible story, we have some type of activity that goes on in there. It's a lot of fun, at least I think it is, and I think most of the kids seem to really enjoy it. Each month has its own theme. This month is the theme, commitment. A commitment is different from a resolution. A commitment is a pledge or a promise. It's an obligation to something, whereas a resolution is the act of, you know, determining upon an action, and I think it's kind of kind of funny when we go to like conventions and things like that. Or you know, I spent some time moderating our own association back where I was before, and you know, the, at the associational meetings or annual meetings of churches, you have you have a resolutions committee, and they come in and they bring a list of things that that the group is resolving, and it's it's usually it usually has to do with something. Um, you know, in culture, maybe it's a political hot topic at the moment. Maybe something's happening in culture that, that we really don't support, but we want to encourage our churches to take a stand against it. And so the resolutions committee will make these things. Well, nobody's, I mean, there's no accountability there. It's basically an encouragement to all the churches to be on the same page in an area. But if you don't do it, what happens? Nothing. It's not the same as going in and changing a bylaw. It's not the same as going in and making an adjustment to an official policy that we we vote on. And that in that level, we're making a commitment. We're making, we have an obligation to that which we voted on. That's very different from a resolution. And that same is true in our lives. And my point is this we don't resolve to be better followers of Christ. We simply don't. We're not to treat it like a consideration. Doing so is an obligation, it's a commitment, it's an expectation. We get up, we suit up, we tackle the day in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we operate as Christians. That's how we operate as believers. Or else we've chosen to be disobedient to the will of God. So what does the timeline of your life over the last year look like? Are those defining moments, what are they? Are there excitements, disappointments? Broken heart celebrations, but what about the spiritual moments? Spiritually speaking, what does the timeline of your life look like over the past year? Are there moments of incredible growth? Leaps and bounds? Are there moments of spiritual darkness? I mean, has it been filled with questions of God's purpose and plan for you? Has that filled your year? What has it been like? spiritual focus, how's that been? You see, we should avoid allowing our spiritual growth and those steps to be simply added to a list of resolutions. I don't mean to step on your toes about that. I mean, if you want to read your Bible more this year, please do so. But understand, it's an obligation to your walk with the Lord to do so. It's not added to a list of Fleshly things to do and fleshly desires and fleshly actions. It's something to do for God Almighty to enhance and build the relationship that you have. Luke 9.23 says, And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Daily. Not just at the turn of a new year. It's an everyday suiting up. It's an everyday putting Christ first. We should not, cannot lump our spiritual progress in with resolutions. You don't add Jesus to the list. Jesus is the list. God is the list. And he is so much the list that we need to remember there is a distinct difference between the two. One is physical and one is supernatural. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to change at all. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to be different in this world. I have two points tonight. First one is this. Commitment to Christ demands, I should say requires, priority. First Timothy 4.8, and this is actually our memory verse in the orchard for the month of January. I think this is so appropriate. First Timothy 4.8 says, Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You see, physical training deals with only the physical aspect of life. I have friends that are, I mean, adamant about their physical training, and they're spiritually dead, completely lost. And I use the term friends loosely. I I know them. I have former students that, uh, there's one guy in particular that he will always post pictures of himself. It's not just your normal selfie that most people do. But this is like, man, he's got his muscles out, and he's turned around, and he's, got the cam- he's not just holding the camera in the mirror. You, he's got it fixed just right where you can see every muscle that trains down his back and across his shoulders and down his arms. And he is die hard about building his muscle and mass. And he's done that as an outlet to not do drugs and alcohol anymore. Completely Christless. Completely. Grew up in a Christian home. Went to church. Was one of our students for a long time completely dead, completely dead spiritually. You see, that's the physical. And the Bible says that while you know, phys- bodily training is of some value, godliness is a value in every way. See, godliness, when we train in godliness, it affects all areas of our life. It affects the view of ourself. How do we see ourselves? Hopefully, it's as God sees us. Obviously first as a sinner, one who needs salvation, and then also one who has been redeemed once we've come to him. Understanding that God places value in us and gives us the value. And seeing ourselves through the lens of through the eyes of God. Godliness affects our marriage. When we strive for godliness and we practice godliness in our lives, it's going to, it must absolutely affect our marriage in every way it affects that aspect of our life. You see how Jesus is the list? You see how godliness is the list? It affects our parenting. It affects how we operate in business. It affects civic responsibilities, relationships with our neighbors. All of those things are impacted by our relationship with Jesus Christ and our pursuit of godliness. It extends to our life, extends to our life now and the one to come as well. It holds promises for both the present life and the future. What we become in this life, we carry into eternity. And if we work this life all the way through to our dying day, and we do not come to Jesus, we carry that into eternity too, and we, in, we go into eternity lost as a goose. In the same way, we come to Christ, and we go into eternity, and we carry that, we carry the redemption of Christ with us, and we boldly walk before the throne of God. And we boldly approach the throne, and we boldly go on our face, and we worship God, and we're greeted with open arms in that loving relationship. And that which we've done for the Lord carries with us as well. It trails with us, trails behind us. Proverbs nineteen twenty one says, My plans are in man's heart. I mean, many plans are in man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Mark 8.36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit what? His soul. Lamentations 3.40 says, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Bodily training is of some value. Fleshly training is of some value. The things we pursue and the things we like and the things we enjoy, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Our hobbies are great, our sports are fun, but pursuit of godliness is most critical and most important of all things. Number two, commitment to Christ demands focus. It demands our attention. Philippians 3.14 says this, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, we have our hope fixed on the living God. Psalm 1.21, 1-2 one says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So there's a focus there, and it demands our focus. Our commitment to Christ requires that. Now, Psalm 119, chapter 1, verses 9 through 16 says this. How can a young man or woman, how can one keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart. That the most basic daily act can help remind us of the priority and focus of our commitment to Christ. I don't want to be the one pastor that doesn't have an illustration or an object lesson. This, you may or may not like this, these are socks. yep they have never been washed though they have been worn yeah I know I heard that I mean it's really gross just standing here holding them I can't really even tell you everything that is on these socks and here's why probably back early 2000's I did a little experiment and I had rules to my experiment, and this was shortly after the guy that did supersize me, you know, the, the Morgan Spurlock did the whole eating McDonald's for 30 days and all that. So I was kind of on this little try and things kick. So I'm like, what can I do for 30 days? I just want to do something for 30 days, you know. It's like, hey, read your Bible for 30 days. That's a good idea. Uh, but yeah, you know, I carried my phone, I carried my Bible around like my phone for 30 days. I'm like, okay, what if I treated my phone like my Bible? You know, if I go, if I leave my phone at home, I go back and get it. I carry it with me, I set it on the table at the restaurant, it's with me everywhere I go and in everything I do. What would it look like if I treated my Bible like my phone for 30 days? And I did that, It was an interesting thing, it really was. This, though, on the other hand, was a 24-hour experiment, or really just a single day's experiment. What would it be like to go without shoes for a day? And I know those of you that have traveled around the world and you've been to different countries and there's kids that run around without shoes, that's not a big deal, I get it. But I just wanted to kind of experience that. And the thing about this particular day is I set a day in advance kind of at random. I just said, okay, on this day, this is the day I'm going to go without shoes. And I picked, I made sure it was like a weekday, it was a work day. I didn't want it to be like a lazy PJ day on a, on a Saturday or something like that because that's just cheating. I wanted to have to do my normal routine. And so I got up, put on everything, and I just went out without my shoes. Here's the thing, never in my life, ever in my life, have I ever, ever, ever forgotten to leave my house without my shoes. For that matter, never in my life have I ever left my house naked. I mean, not even, you know, like out of my mind, crazy and, and loony. I mean, I've never done that. I've never forgotten to get dressed in the morning. I've never forgotten to put on my shoes. Ever. Not once have I ever gotten in the car, cranked the engine, looked down, and, oh, My shoes. Now, my kids have done this. (laughs) Understand it. I mean, there's about eight pairs of shoes in the car right now that any one of them can wear at any moment when this happens. But I, as a grown man, have never, ever done that. I've forgotten my wallet. I've forgotten my keys. I've forgotten a pen. I've forgotten my watch. I've forgotten a hat. I've forgotten any number of things. But I've never in my life forgotten to put on shoes. And yet, how many times do we leave our house not spending a moment in prayer, not spending a moment in reading God's word, not spending a moment in meditation. How many days do we go, maybe in a row, without a bit of meditation, without a bit of reading of God's word? I mean, we'll be late for the job before we'll go without fixing our hair. We'll be late for an appointment before we leave the house without shaving, some of us. we're not going to go without our shoes and we're certainly not going to go undressed physically but we will spiritually quite often so I did this experiment and I decided to go and the day that I picked of course I didn't know this in advance but it rained the whole weekend before and I picked a Monday and I picked a, I didn't mean to, but I picked a weekend that was after I had just taken some students on a trip And so I had vans to return. I had a van to return, which was sitting in my driveway overnight. I was taking it back that Monday morning. That was on my schedule to do. I walked out of my house, and where I lived at my house, we had a problem with the walkway where the water would just puddle. So the the bricks were sinking, so the walk was no good unless it was a beautiful, sunshiny day, in which case it didn't really matter. And so I stepped out of the house and immediately stepped into water. And I knew it. We also had a bunch of pine trees in our yard, but I hate pine trees, I really do. They drop all the time, and these pine cones, these enormous pine cones that some of you crafters would just love, would all be all over the grass. I kicked them. I stepped on them. They hurt. And you see, I had to avoid the water because I had one foot wet. I didn't really want both feet wet, so I decided to go around it, and I walked through the flower beds well we know it's in flower beds right I mean it's more than just dirt there's cats in my neighborhood (laughs) so I walked through because it was higher ground and I tiptoed across it and then I had to get into this van and I drove this van back well the thing you have to do when you return a van is you have to return it or any rental car for that matter full of fuel or they charge you a bazillion dollars to do it so here I am sock footed pulling into the gas station and I have to step out of my car down onto the concrete, and you know what that looks like. I mean, somebody has taken their dip out of their mouth and thrown it on the ground. There's somebody's leftover slushy that got kicked and crushed. Somebody spilled gasoline, and I'm standing there sock-footed, filling the van up with gas. I get back in. I mean, this this is like 845 in the morning. I get in, I go to the van lot, which is all gravel, by the way. I know. I mean, it's just it's, it's idiocy. Like, what was I thinking? And so I get out of there, and I'm, I'm and it's hurting my feet. I'm going in. The Guys, like, where's your shoes, man? I'm like, I don't know. Let me explain it to you. And you know, the, the van company, they're Christians, and so they they got to get a kick out of it. And they thought it was kind of neat, you know. Um, I said, I'm just doing a little experiment. But I'll be so glad to get to the office. Oh, if I could just get to the office. There's carpet there and all of that. That's what I did, and so I, I got into the office and walked in, my feet saturated, muddy, gum, gasoline, dip, slushy, whatever, gravel, dirt, all of this on these socks right here on my feet. I spent the day trying to stay in my office and in the church. Finally getting home, getting the speech not to walk in with all that nasty on my feet. I'm like, look, I'm just take them off now at the door. Don't even walk in on the carpet like that. And I put them away. But you know, it's an interesting thing about that, because what I discovered is that when we go out of our house unprotected, or unshoed, there's a few things that are happening. Number one, if I can just give you this list real quickly, when we fail to put on our spiritual shoes in the same way that we fail to put on our, our physical shoes, we find ourselves immediately saturated with our environment. When we walk out of our house spiritually unprepared, we are at great risk to be saturated by our culture. We're at tremendous risk at being influenced by those around us negatively. That's especially true with you students. Going back to school tomorrow, I had a conversation with 6th graders this morning about the biggest problem as they see it in their school, in the 6th grade, and how they try to avoid it. There's a couple of them, actually, a couple of problems. They need to be prepared spiritually. We all need to be prepared spiritually. We're also unprotected against our environment. Consider the pine cones and other debris that I found in my path. If I had my shoes on, I would not care. I mean, the water was there, but it wasn't so deep that shoes wouldn't traipse through it without a problem. It was just enough to make it a big problem for socks. When we're unprotected, when we walk out of our house unprotected, we're also unprepared for the environment. I wasn't prepared for the terrain before me. I wouldn't care about kicking pine cones. For that matter, I wouldn't care about walking up in the flower bed. But unprotected, all that stuff was in the way. I couldn't just traipse across the gravel like I normally could in my shoes. And so when we go out of our house spiritually unprepared, We won that same risk of being unprepared for what may be before us that day. What challenges are we going to have? What encounters are we going to experience? What opportunities are going to come our way that we feel unprepared for because we have not self-prepared through our commitment to Christ? Making it a priority and making it our focus. The other one is our environment will dictate our path. You see, the minute I changed and didn't have my shoes on, my environment dictated every step I took. All of a sudden, I had to go a different route. I had to go a different way. I had to go something other than the direct path that I normally would go. What happens when people ask us questions about our faith and we're so spiritually dry inside that we just don't even know how to answer? You see, we can, through the Holy Spirit, we can fix that. Through our commitment to Jesus Christ, that can be remedied, that can be solved. And this time next year, when we're asking, how did I spend 525,600 minutes? Well, a bulk of that time was spent in honing my relationship with Jesus Christ. A bulk of that time was spent relying on the Holy Spirit to grow me. The bulk of that time was making Jesus my list instead of adding him to the list. The bulk of that time was preparing myself to leave the house spiritually dressed, spiritually clothed, ready for my environment, ready for what would be before me, come what may. The last thing I noticed is that too many people did not notice that I didn't have shoes on. In fact, Church secretaries didn't notice. Folks that came in the office didn't notice. The only person to notice I didn't have shoes on was the guy at the van rental place. Probably because it hurt my feet so much to go across the gravel. And you see, the level of our commitment it doesn't really matter to people until it matters to people. You know, it really doesn't matter to folks until your hypocrisy matters to them. Too many people didn't notice. What kind of legacy are we leaving? What does our commitment to Christ look like? What does our commitment, our focus, and our priority of Him look like? It's not too late to change it. Never too late to change it. I love the story of Alfred Nobel, and I'll leave with this, I'll close with this. Alfred Nobel lost his brother, Ludwig Nobel. And he died at a time when Alfred was successful in his career. But the obituary was wrong. And what happened is they printed Alfred's obituary instead of Ludwig's obituary. And so Alfred's sitting there reading the obituary of his brother, which turns out to be his own, and his death was mistaken. And see, Alfred Nobel, was the he developed dynamite. And so through the course of this obituary, they basically said good riddance. Because he was known as a merchant of death. Because lots of people died in the process of developing dynamite. And he had become very successful in this. And so here he is reading this obituary, having the I, I, probably the enlightening privilege of reading your own obituary prior to it actually occurring. I mean, you don't read it after it occurs, but you know what I mean thinking it's his brother realizing what people really thought of him and so from that day on he made a decision and he decided to change how he would be known and so obviously by the name Nobel you should know that he developed a prize it was the Nobel Peace Prize and he launched so much of his wealth towards setting up an award for people who not promoted death And destruction, but we're known for promoting peace in some way. And so to this day, that is what he's known for. And when you hear that name, that's what we associate the Nobel Peace Prize. The point of the story is that we can decide to change, we can decide to commit ourselves, we can decide to turn a different way, we can decide to clothe ourselves every day in our commitment and the priority of our relationship to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're asking you to do tonight. What does that look like for you in 2015? Is it the launch of a new relationship to Jesus Christ? Have you spent 2014 thinking, man, I just, I, I know I'm not saved, I know I'm lost. They I, I keep talking about it at the church. There's some great people up there, but man, I just really, I, I'm not ready to make a commitment yet. And then Jesus is saying, come. I know you're heavy burdened. I know you're hurting, I know there's pain, I know your five hundred, twenty-five thousand, six hundred minutes are filled with pain and strife. Come to me, you who are weary. And maybe that's how your 2015 needs to begin. Or maybe you've spent the last ten years adding Jesus to a list of resolutions and this is the year that the commitment has got to be solidified. Maybe that means coming down and, and kneeling in prayer. That's what this place is for. That's what the safe environment is for. If we can't do that here, where in the world, where in the world can we do that? We come here and we place ourselves on our face before God. And there are those waiting to see someone come down that want to come and pray with you. And we encourage that. What is it that God has spoken to your heart tonight? What is it that day four into 2015 needs to change? What's that commitment look like today? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, Lord, and I thank you so much once again for the opportunity to speak, to speak for you. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for the people sitting in here tonight. Lord, I pray that you just work in our hearts. God, I pray that we not just have a, a two-week consideration of how we want to live a better life. And Lord, it all just mounts to our own flesh and, and f- false idea of our ability. Father, may we shift our mind to being one that prioritizes you, one that focuses on you. And Father, may tonight we make you our list. May you saturate our lives, every facet of it. May you make us who you want us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.